coming. Tonight's shir was dedicated by Terry Levin, and this is in honor of her <coughs> grandmother's yurtzeit, Fega Bas Shmuel, that um, was uh, last week. I just want to make an in- a observation. Uh, the class I'm giving tonight, we gave, I gave last week, but the recording didn't, uh, didn't catch, and um, due to uh, the various um, circumstances last week I couldn't re-record like I would usually do so uh, and the class was not on Parshas Vayikra it was on Nisan so I figured I can give the same class the following Monday so Terry had sponsored actually last week's class in honor of her grandmother's yard site that was last week but it's going to be a double header one given last week and then a given again tonight may her May her neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may the Abishter may channel lots of brachas through her to you, and all that you need and all that you want, and much revealed, revealed, good, 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 wonderful blessings. May all your prayers be answered in a way that you would like them see be answered, and way even beyond that. Um, another dedication tonight was by Shoshana Lienz, and this is in honor of her parents' uh, Shimon and Shandel Leance's 25th anniversary, Mazel Tov, which was also last week. And uh, being that they're entering into the 26th year, 26 is Hashem's name and the name of abundance, the name of the infinite, and the name of compassion. May they receive great divine compassion and light and infinite, infinite blessings in their marriage, and much, much, much mazel and bracha and only good. And the CD was dedicated by Shimon and Shandel, Shimon Lianz in honor of his wife, Shandel Lianz's, in honor of their anniversary. So may the Abish to bench them with a good, good, many, 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 infinite happy years together, uh, like we are expecting these days to live on for all of infinity. So the Abish should help that uh, you should merit to see that in your life as it will flow right into the days of Mashiach with much joy, happiness, and only nachas from the children and only revealed wonderful, wonderful good. Thanks. Okay. Now, last week's class was really, really good. Now, the question is, will it, <laughs> will it materialize tonight? Uh, uh, will I be able to capture the energy that we had last week? We Hopefully, the Abishter should help. Now, last week's class, which tonight is a, a repetition of that class, was, a, in a sense, a continuation to the class I gave two weeks ago. So now it would be, yeah, two weeks ago. 
So I would just like to remind uh, uh, the listeners of what we had spoken about two weeks ago. And then, then we were talking about Parshas Vayakel Pekudei, but we were talking about the Mishkan. And um, actually, we were talking about the Beis Amikdash and Yerushalayim. And now we're going to co- connect that theme and that idea and broaden and clarify that idea uh, in regarding to the month of Nisan, the very sp- special month, the month of Giyula, the month of redemption that we're in right now. So uh, at that, in that discussion, I had mentioned that which it says in Malachim, when Shlomo Melech built the base of Migdash, Shlomo Melech exclaims and he says, he's repeating what Hash, that Hashem says, he's speaking as a prophet, and he's saying that God said that from the day he took the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, he has, I have not chosen a home for myself. I have not chosen a city to dwell in. I did not choose any city to live in. And then finally, but then I've chosen David. So the question we asked them, which is Mepharshim asked the question, and we brought it to Zohar asked the question. The sentence doesn't make any sense. It says that from the day that I took you out of Egypt, I didn't choose a city. But then it says, I chose David. It should, David is not a city. It should have says, I chose Yerushalayim. So we discussed the idea two weeks ago. But what we had mentioned over there, I'm just going to take out the most important point, and that which we need to relate to, to, to tonight's class. And that is that um, the choosing of King David and David Amelech as the king over the Jewish people is inherently connected to the choosing Hashem's choice of Yerushalayim. That Yerushalayim and, and David HaMelech are inherently unified, connected to each other, and that the choice that Hashem makes in choosing Yerushalayim is incomplete until he chooses David HaMelech. So it's like you don't have, there's something lacking in the choice, of, and that's what, what Shlomo HaMelech is saying. Hashem says, I haven't chosen a city, but I've chosen David. And, and why? Because the choosing of David allows for and enables the completion of Hashem's choice in Yerushalayim. So to understand this, we, we uh, discussed the idea of the uniqueness of Yerushalayim, the power of the city of Yerushalayim, and its unique connection to us, to the Jewish people, and which is very, very relevant today because we're in the midst of a contention which is there already for the last, especially the last couple of years, particularly regarding to Yerushalayim, which obviously makes sense that this is the contention that happens right before Mashiach comes in which Yerushalayim is going to be completely rebuilt. And this year, Baruch Hashem, we had an announcement regarding to Yerushalayim in which it was officially recognized by the strongest, most important nation in the world that had officially recognized Yerushalayim as the capital of the Jewish people. So this, it's very, very exciting, especially when we're coming to Pesach. And that's when we again are going to say Lashana Habab Yerushalayim and all of our eyes and ears are to Jerusalem and hopefully this year we won't have to say Lashana Haba because we're going to be eating and having the, 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 the uh, great pilgrimage of going up to Yerushalayim and celebrating Pesach the way it really ought to be in the third base on Migdash. Now um, regarding uh, the, the uniqueness of Yerushalayim we say that the Abishter says, I've chosen Yerushalayim. And the choice of Yerushalayim is a very unique choice. Before Yerushalayim, there was another city. And the city that was where Hashem had the Mishkan before Yerushalayim was the city of 
Shiloh. And Shiloh is a, for 360, I think, seven years or the like, God dwelled in Shiloh. But yet, Shiloh was not it. What the Ebershter Hashem says, well, the choice, the city that I have really, really chosen is Yerushalayim. And we know what the Ramam says, that once Yerushalayim was chosen, we're prohibited of building a base on Migdash anywhere else other than in Yerushalayim. And not only that, the Ramam also says that the Kedusha, the holiness of Jerusalem, never, ever, ever went away. That it means even after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, and even during the exile, in which the holiness of the land of Israel was compromised. Because we don't have the same... Eretz Yisrael does not have the same Kedusha as Eretz Yisrael in now. It's not that it's not holy, it's still holy. But it doesn't have the same level of holiness like it had when... Uh, all the, when the Yidin, during the time when we were, we were in the first temple, time the second temple. <coughs> but the holiness of Yerushalayim, Ramam says, is not dependent on the Beis Amigdash. That means even when the Beis Amigdash is destroyed, Yerushalayim remains in its sanctity. Not only that, we're technically allowed to offer karbonos on the mountain, on the, on the temple mount. We have a problem, we have a technical problem. Essentially, rather. Essentially, we can offer karbonos. We have a technical problem. Technical problem is there is tumah, we're not, we're defiled, so on and so forth. So there are problems. So therefore, we won't go up on the mountain. And there are other reasons that the commentators discussed already at great length of why we don't go, why, the halachic authorities, why we wouldn't go and offer a karbon pesach on the on the on the harabais, and why we don't go on the harabais. But essentially, the holiness is there to the point that we could offer up karbonos. Now that, why? Because the holiness of Jerusalem is an eternal holiness. It's forever and ever and ever. Why is Yerushalayim, the Kedusha of Yerushalayim, a Kedusha Nitzchis? Why is it an eternal holiness? And the reason for that is because God chose it. And even though in regards to other places, Bechira, um, Shiloh, for instance, Hashem it also uses the word Hashem, Hashem chose. But there is something very there is um, in Yerushalayim. There is it's a different type of a choice. The true meaning of a true, 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 real, real meaning of choice is only in Yerushalayim. In other words, even though Hashem selected Shiloh to be the the dwelling place, the pasuk actually says in Parshas Re'eh, the pasuk says, I'll "Quote to you the pasuk." Regarding to um, Shiloh, the Pasuk says over here, Hamakayim Asha Yifchar Hashem, the place that God has chosen, Lasum Esham, to put his to place his name there. And that's referring, the sages say it's referring to Shiloh. Hashem chose the place to put his name there. But Yushalayim it says slightly different. It says the place that Hashem will choose it, to make His name dwell there, to make His name rest there. That means the difference between Shiloh and Yerushalayim is both saying almost the same thing. It's just that in Yerushalayim it says Hashem chose it. In Shiloh it says Hashem chose it, Hashem chose the place to place His name there. But it doesn't say Hashem chose boy it. That one word that Hashem chose boy, which means in Yerushalayim, Hashem chose it, makes all the difference. What's the difference? It reveals the depth of the choice. When a person 
chooses something, when a person decides to make something important in their life, when they choose to have a relationship with something, there are two ways in which one can connect to something. There's a manner in which one connects to something because of its utility, because of its usage, because it can serve a certain need, a certain, a certain fulfillment that the person needs. Okay, I need to get around somewhere, so I need a car. I need a car, I choose a car. Which car? And what kind of car do I choose? I choose a car that fits my needs. Again, it's within my price range, and it's within the necessity, it has whatever the things that I personally need in a car. And if I, need a, if I have a large family, then I need a van. And if I need I have a super large family, I need a super big van. Right? But if it's just you know, for myself, I can use a small car, and so on and so forth. So you use, you choose, and then so on and so forth. That's a choice you're making based on a utility. Okay? You need a table and chairs, you need furniture. So you choose the furniture and the like. So that kind of choice is a choice out of necessity. But there's another choice. When, when a person chooses something not for any other reason but just because. And almost it's, it's like it's in a same, it's kind of an, it's, it, it's, it's a choice that reaches in a place in which we might say it's, it's kind of, it borders on an insanity. But those things that we choose, which are super rational, and we just choose them just because, it means that we're choosing the thing itself. Not the thing about the thing, but the thing itself. And then what does the significance of that object, what's the significance of that thing? The significance of it is not it, the significance of it is yourself. And that's why you're so committed and you're so devoted to it, as strong and as committed as you are to yourself. So a little example that we can find of something like that, of a choice that is not based on a reason. So I mentioned this two weeks ago in the class, is you know when an adult comes into a room and they want to take a chair, and uh, they want to sit down, but someone else says, well, someone is sitting there. Maybe you can have this chair. Or we reserve this chair for so-and-so because it's an elderly person and he needs to have the support of this chair. That's why we reserve this chair. Okay, so I need to sit. You, you, know, you don't want to give this chair, give me another chair. So you give him another chair. So every, kind of most people will kind of be pretty flexible in the chair that you're giving them because they need a chair to sit down and so on and so forth. But then you have a two-year-old kid who wants a chair. And mother, and mother says, I can't give you this chair. I'll give you another chair. This is uh, Zadie's chair. So this is whatever. <laughs> this chair's real. So the two-year-old uh, and I says, no, I want that chair. He says, but I'll give you another chair, just, just as good. No, I want that chair. And then the two-year-old throws a temper tantrum. And there's nothing in the world, there's no reasoning in the world that you can change the two-year-old's mind from the chair. Why? Because when the ch- child wants the chair, it's not the utility of the chair, it's the fact that I want. And what do I, I want this chair. I don't want any other chair. I want this chair. If you are telling, if you're not giving me the chair, you are really telling me off. It's not the chair, it's me. Because the child is choosing from a place that's irrational. If the child is saying, this is my chair, and if it's my chair, then nothing in the world, no reasoning in the world, because it's mine. Okay? Now, do, we, do adults do things like that? Yes, sometimes. In which we lock ourselves, we latch ourselves onto something just because. And we find that when we do things like that, which generally borders on Mishigas, but when we latch ourselves onto something with pure Mishigas, our general attachment to those things are much stronger than things that we attach ourselves based on rhyme and reason. Things that we just want just because. You can see, I, I, it's very hard. I mean, obviously, we, we try to look at ourselves as sane people, so we don't really want to admit that we have certain things that we just choose just because. But let's say I'll give an example. I think the closest to it would be sports fans. So, you know, you select a team. And when you select a team, people go crazy about their team. 
it's not really, okay, sometimes you, you'll select the team because you're in your hometown, that's the team, that you, that's the team you know, but sometimes people just make a choice. They choose to follow a certain team. And then they get more and more and more and more attached to that team to the point where they literally go crazy. They'll sell their wife and children for their team. It's with, with, with a craziness. Why? Because there's absolutely no reason why what it's giving you, what you have with that team. It's just a choice that you made. You chose to identify and you said, I am making that mine. And when you said you are making that mine, it becomes, it reaches what we call, it touches your essence. You chose them for no reason just because, because of yourself. That's the, it's, and again, it's very limited, the example that we're giving, but then you see this idea of free choice. Because every other choice that you're making, it's not really called free choice. Because if I'm choosing something because it serves the purpose better, you know, if I need a truck, and I'm giving a choice of a car and a truck, if I need 10 seats for my family, and you're giving me a choice between a four-seater and a 10-seater, it's not much of a choice. I am compelled. I have to choose the 10-seater, because that's what I need, right? So a real choice is when there is no necessity, no necessarily need. You just made your decision, this is what I want. God is a fan of the Jewish people. Hashem chooses Israel. Hashem chooses certain things. And one of the things that Hashem chose is Yerushalayim. And his choice is a choice that's very personal. It reaches very, very, very much into God's essence. And that's the difference between Shiloh and Jerusalem. Shiloh was a great place. When Hashem looked at the world and Hashem said, you know, we're in Israel right now, where is a good place for me to live? Let me look for the best place that suits my, my, what can you say on God, his needs, but what Hashem would like to see in a home. Shiloh was a special place. It belonged to the tribe of Yosef. It comes from Yosef. Yosef was a very big tzaddik, in a sense much greater than all the other tribes. God says Shiloh appealed to Hashem in terms of what Shiloh was able to, to provide. So Hashem chose Shiloh, if you can say, based on necessity. It was the most usable. It was the, most, it was the place most suitable for the hashra, for the dwelling of the Shekhinah. And therefore, since he wanted it because of its utility, and you see so in the Pasuk, it says, the place that God chose, he chose it for a reason. He needs a place, or he wants a place, to make his name for a Shekhinah to, to, to dwell. So Shiloh came up to be like uh, the place. It's like when, you know, I don't even want to use that example, but I guess it came to my head, so I'm just going to use it. It's like from time to time, they're looking for the best place for the next Olympics. Right? So they're looking, this city, that city, that city, they have to make a choice. What's going to be the best place? So, a billion gazillion times, of course, there's not, when Hashem is looking for the best place that suits doing this thing, so Hashem says, oh, Shiloh is the best city. Good. When I came, however, to Yeru, and therefore, since it was chosen because of its value, because of what it can provide, once you get your usage out of it, you don't need it anymore. Because I only took it because of what it can provide. Not because I have a personal identification with it, a personal connection to it. However, when it comes to Yerushalayim, that's a whole different story. When it comes to Yerushalayim, Hashem didn't choose it because it's the most suitable place. Hashem chose Yerushalayim because so He decided. And, there's no, and, there, and there doesn't have to be any rationale. It doesn't have to be, it's not because it's a nice hill, or because of this, or because of that. So He decided. So when God created the entire world, which means the, 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 the entire universe, 
It's ginormous. Ginormous, ginormous. And Hashem looks at that universe. And He zooms in. He zooms in, zooms in. Within the universe, planet Earth is not even a... It's not even noticed. It's not even, it's not even a blip. It's nothing. And yet Hashem, like, like you, know, you know, sometimes you zoom. You, 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 you go to a map and you open it and you make it... You're, you're, you're making it... You're zooming in. You're trying to get to, to a little point. And Hashem is like going wider and wider and wider until He finds planet Earth. On planet Earth, He finds little tiny Israel as big as Rhode Island. And in, in Eretz Yisrael, he looks and he zooms in until he finds Yerushalayim. And in Yerushalayim, Hashem puts, or Hashem puts his finger down on Jerusalem. Or Hashem puts his finger down on the Temple Mount. And he says, this is mine. Why? So, so I want. It is for that reason that the Abish's connection to Yerushalayim is eternal and it can never ever change. It's absolute. Because the significance of Yerushalayim is not the quality of it it's not the Jerusalem stone or the Jerusalem this or the Jerusalem... It's all, that, that's not what it is. It's not the terrain. It's not the geographical location. It's nothing about it that makes it appealing. It's one thing. This is the Eberster's choice. And therefore, as long as God is God, which is absolute and forever, so too, Yerushalayim is His place. Now, so that's, that tells, by the way, everyone, that well, don't mess with Yerushalayim. Don't mess with Jerusalem. You think you can, you can decide you know, what belongs to who, who belongs to where. You want to decide and, 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 uh, about London or Paris or Dubai or all these other cities. You can have big, 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 big conferences and meetings about how exactly you want to split and, 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 and do with all those cities whatever you want. But Yerushalayim, hands off. Don't touch Yerushalayim. Because you know you're messing with the deepest inner, 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 innermost core of the world, the place that God says, this is my private place. This is my home. Fine. However, as we spoke, so what does that have to do with King David? So <coughs> last week we mentioned an interesting thing. Since this choice that the Abraham chose Yerushalayim to be his eternal, his eternal place, now Yerushalayim becomes eternally important eternally significant. However, there's two things to it. Being that the eternity now of Jerusalem is completely related and it's, it's, it's all about God. It's not about the city. Remember, that's the whole point. When you're choosing something because of its significance, then it, it's it that's, that's important. But if you're choosing something not because of its significance but because you're choosing, so the significance is yourself, not it. But precisely because of that, how important is it? as important as yourself, right? So here's the thing. Yerushalayim now becomes as important as God because it's God's choice. It's almost like an extension of the Eberster. It's an extension of God. It's part of Him. Fine. We get that. But that, the question is, can that translate into a quality in Yerushalayim? In other words, let me change my question. Can Yerushalayim own, can the city of Jerusalem itself own that, that holiness? Or is that something that will always remain outside of Yerushalayim? Well, let me explain that. You see, when we're saying that as a result of the Abishta's choice, Yerushalayim is a holy city, it, has, it, it, it translates into two things. Number one, as we said earlier, is that we're not allowed to build a... If, if once Yerushalayim was chosen, we can never, ever, ever, ever build a home for God anywhere else. It won't work. It's, it, you, you're not allowed to. It's forbidden for us. But that, I can understand. God made His choice. So if you're building a home for God, you can't do it anywhere else because He wants over there. 
That doesn't say that there is something intrinsic in Yerushalayim. That's something about God that he chose. This is the place he wants to be. Nowhere else. Fine. But here we're saying there's something else. We're saying that as a result of that choice, Yerushalayim becomes holy. And what kind of holiness? An eternal holiness. An eternal holiness that means that 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 choice that God makes, that's completely about God, not about Jerusalem, becomes the identity of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim absorbs it and owns it. It In other words, we say it becomes internalized in the city. Now the city is a godly city with the eternity of Hashem inside in it. Here is a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that physical matter, physicality, by its very definition, is that physicality is a creation, and the nature of the physical is that it is temporary. Physicality is temporary, all physical. All matter is temporary. It is all subject to decay. It is subject to erosion. That's the way it is. The world erodes. Everything in the world is. That's the, that's the process of aging. When things age, they begin to, uh, you know, they become disintegrate. Everything disintegrates. Eventually, if not after a thousand years, ten thousand years, a million years, two million years, things disintegrate. So, but here we're saying that what? That Jerusalem has now acquired, acquired, it has, it has become holy with an infinite holiness. That means, if it's holy with an infinite holiness, that means it has to be durable for what? For all of infinity. Forever and ever. Ever and ever. I'm not talking about a million years, a billion years, a gazillion years. Forever and ever and ever and ever. But that's not, that's the total opposite of something physical. Only God is eternal and absolute and forever and ever. So if we're saying, but let's understand something, if we're saying that, I'm not questioning the fact that Yerushalayim as a city could exist forever. That's not a problem. If God is forever, and He chooses to, some, to make something forever, just like God can choose to create something, something from nothing, he can, he can choose to give it eternity. He can choose to do that. So God can keep it going forever and ever. My question over here is, can that eternity be owned by the city? Or is that eternity something, an external power that's, that's making it be that way, but it's not that that place itself has become that. And let me explain that a little better. When we, we use the example of, of a stone, take the nature of a stone. A stone doesn't move. The nature of a stone is it's stationary. It stands in one place. It doesn't move. Stones don't move. You know, uh, a bird flies. A cat runs around. When a, vegeta- uh, a tree grows, it moves. A stone, what was or will be. It doesn't move. It stays in one place unless someone moves it. Now what happens if someone takes the stone and he throws the stone? Ooh, now the stone, stone changes. It's flying. Stone is flying through the air. Now, but I'll ask you the question. Has the stone become a flying stone? Did we now change? Look at this. Look at this unbelievable metamorphosis. The stone has now become a flying stone. That's not true. The stone doesn't become a flying stone. The stone is inherently what the stone is, an immobile, stationary being. The power of the flight and the movement of the stone is attributed to the force that was emitted by the person who threw the stone, 
who's releasing a certain energy and a certain power that's carrying the stone through the air. And the proof is the moment that energy ends, because the force that we are, we are um, emitting, and put, because since we're finite, the energy we can, we can release, even if you're a baseball player and you can really throw something really strong, but still, even that has an end, that's how far that will carry the stone. Because the stone inherently hasn't become a flying stone. The stone is what it always was, an immob- in, in, in a non-movable entity. It's only moving because something is carrying it. So the question is when it comes to Yerushalayim, do we say that Jerusalem has become an eternal city? That Yerushalayim is, actually the Chazal say, v'hanetzach, in davening we say, l'cha Hashem ha'gedula, to you God is greatness, v'hagavura and strength, v'hatiferes. So Chazal say each one of these represents certain things. V'hanetzach and eternity, the sages say, Zay Yerushalayim, that's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is eternal. If there's anything in the world that's eternal, it's Yerushalayim and that it's the capital of Israel. It's amazing how the klipa, how the world, how, st- I'm sorry to, to say stupid, but absolutely stupid the world can be, that of all places that it wants to challenge, it will challenge the one place on earth that's eternally, that's Netzach, it's eternally belonging only to one people. Paris does not belong to the French eternally because the French won't be here eternally. Right? Any country. It doesn't belong to anybody. Not London to the, to the, to the, to the, to the British, to the, Engli- to the English, and, and the, every, Moscow to the Russians. None of it. Yerushalayim belongs to the Jewish people for all of eternity. Oh, but the question is, is that eternity just God's eternity that he's lending to the city? He's making it be eternal. But what we're saying is Yerushalayim as a Kedusha. The stone becomes a flying stone. That means the limited natural physical Jerusalem becomes an eternal country and owns it. Ooh, how can that happen? That's total antithetical to what the nature of physicality is. Physicality can't own something infinite and be eternal because the physical erodes. That's where David HaMelech comes in. And that's, the, that's why King David is the enabler for Yerushalayim to be completely the chosen city. Why? Because the same idea that we spoke about earlier about Yerushalayim and the uniqueness of that choice, that Hashem chose, chooses Yerushalayim, and that choice of God that is not for any reason but for the fact that God says, this is my place. That kind of a choice, which what we said before is super rational, it's a choice from the essence, which is Hashem's choice in Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. The same idea applies to King David. Why? Because we know there were other kings that were, were ruled before David HaMelech. There was King Shaul HaMelech. Even Moshe Rabbeinu was a king. Yeshua Benun, Joshua was a king. Shaul HaMelech. And in terms of personal virtue, they might have been greater than Yeshua. Then David HaMelech. Shaul HaMelech, the sages say, only committed one sin all of his life. But he wasn't forgiven. David HaMelech committed more than one sin. And I want to lay, of course, we understand that we, do not, we have no comprehension in King David's sins. We don't understand these things and whatever, but that's not, that's not the question. But whatever, it's considered that David HaMelech did more than one sin. Yet, what does it say about David HaMelech? He remains, David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayam. David, King David is alive and well forever and ever. And he's the king for the Jewish people for all of eternity. God promises him, take out Tehillim. Look at, look at Tehillim. Hashem says, Karati bris lebechiri. I have sealed a bris, a covenant lebechiri to my chosen one. 
And Hashem goes on to say, even if your children, David HaMelech says unto them, even if your children are going to violate my covenant, and even they're going to sin against me, I'm going to punish them, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, wreck, I'm going to purge their, 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 their <coughs> blemishes, I'm going to cleanse them, I'm going to purify them, I'm going to put them through the ringer. But one thing is for sure, the chasti may David loy omish, I will never depart my kindness from King David. That for him, im ledavid achazev, Hashem says, achas nishbati, I have sworn my one oath that I have made, im ledavid achazev, if for King David, I will, deny, I will lie. I will not lie to King David. I promised him eternal kingdom. And we know that this will be fulfilled when Mashiach is going to, re- Rambam, we, we were discussing this in the Mashiach classes, it's worth uh, to listen to that. They're going to be posted uh, online, Be'ezus Hashem, in a while after we finish the courses, that we do on Sunday mornings, I'm going to post those classes. They're really, really, really special classes to listen to, clarifying this whole idea of Mashiach. But it says about, about so the main thing about Mashiach is he restores the Davidic kingdom. Why? That's an essential part of Judaism. Judaism does, cannot exist without a, a kingdom of Malchus based David. But the idea is that, it, and so once Mashiach is, is, becomes, is appointed to the throne as the successor and the continuation of King David, it's going to be for all, forever and ever. Why did Shaul HaMelech, why did his kingdom, why didn't it last? And King David's kingdom lasts forever? And the explanation is based on what we said before. When Hashem decided he wants a king to rule the Jewish people, when Hashem chose Shaul HaMelech, Hashem chose it because he was the best person for the job. When Hashem looked, scanned the Jewish people, who was the best, who had the best qualifications that qualified for the job? It was Shaul HaMelech, King Saul. Since God chose him because of he qualified, so the choice was because of him, not because of God. It wasn't that Hashem said, I, lie, I decided him. Hashem said, he fits the job. So once he did whatever he needed to do, and especially once he messed up, so he, he didn't fit exactly the job anymore, he's out the door. Right? So like you see, uh, you know, the president, he's been choosing his cabinet every day. He's switching the cabinet. This guy's in, this guy's out. He wants this guy to do this, that one to do that. Every day it's a, it's a revolving door. So Shalom Melech didn't last too long. He, 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 why? Because the choice in him was not an absolute choice. Hashem, you, Hashem chose him because he fit what needed to be done. When it comes to David HaMelech, Hashem chooses him, as we said before, the same way Hashem chooses Jerusalem, for no reason at all. Hashem says, this is my man because so I want. Because so this is... And therefore, the significance of King David is the significance of God and God's kingship. And since Hashem's kingship is eternal, Hashem and David HaMelech is the one chosen to manifest Hashem's kingship for no reason at all, just because this is the one Hashem chose. I'm not saying David wasn't a tzaddik, and it's all true, but that's not why Hashem chose him. Hashem chose him because so he wanted. And so he made it. And therefore, King David is the eternal king for the Jewish people forever and ever. Now, once that's the case, but David Melech, so we have two things that are chosen. Yerushalayim is chosen, and David Melech is chosen. But what's the quality that David has over Yerushalayim? David has a quality. The quality that he has is that since he is not a physical, David Melech is not a stone, David Melech is not a physical entity, he, he has a physical side too, he's a human being, he has a body, that's the body of David. But David, David as a human, as particular, especially David as a godly being, he has a neshama. And his neshama is a chelik, a lekaimim, a His neshama is a piece of God from above. 
And therefore, just like God is forever and ever, the neshama is essentially forever and ever. So when Hashem chooses David, David HaMelech is a keli, he's a vessel, for that choice to be, become part of him. Jerusalem, we said, has, be, be, due to its physicality, and physical is a, the very definition of a physical entity is temporary. And therefore, how, we ask the question, how can a temporary thing own an infinite, own something infinitely? It can't, an infinite. It can't, because temporary, the, temp, the temporary and the infinite are, and the eternal are, 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 are opposites. So Yerushalayim that is inherently temporary can't own something infinite. And even if it will exist infinite, infinitely, we said, it's an outside thing. It's not that it owns it. But David HaMelech is able to own it, that choice. Why? Since he's an neshama. And therefore he's eternal. So therefore that connection, that choice that Hashem bacharti, matzasi David avdi, b'shem and kachiv meshachtiv, I found David Amelech. I've anointed him my oil, and I've chosen him to be Bechiri, to be my chosen one. That becomes the identity of David Amelech because of the because of his neshama. So he could absorb it. Once David Amelech absorbs that eternity that Hashem has chosen him, now what happens? Not only can David Amelech internalize that for himself, but now he can change the definition of Jerusalem as well. Now we can impact Yerushalayim. And he can allow the Bechira in Yerushalayim to become absorbed in Yerushalayim. Why? Because, you see, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim is a physical city, just like every other physical, physical location in the world. But then, <coughs> once David HaMelech became king, Yerushalayim became David's capital. Once Yerushalayim becomes David's capital, it becomes kind of the seat it becomes the, the, uh, um, it, be, it becomes the, the, um, the space or the, the uh, facilitator of David's kingdom. Every kingdom has to have a place from where you will rule from. So David Amelech's malchus is established in Yerushalayim. Very good. So what happens? Here's the idea. Once Yerushalayim becomes the ear, the city of the, of the kingdom of David, the nature, now this is a very, very fine and very, very special idea, but you have to listen carefully to this, very, very special. And what happens is like this, the nature of that city ceases to be just material, physical city, it stops being a city, it becomes the capital of David's kingdom. That changes the context of that city. Once the context of it changes, it no, doesn't have the limitations that it has. I want to explain this a little bit so you'll get exactly what I'm saying with a simple example. I don't have my object that I used last week, but we all are familiar with, with um, the material called plastic. Okay? Plastic is plastic. And it has all the limitations. And usually when we see plastic, we don't give it too much significance and importance, even though plastic is pretty important. You do a whole bunch of things with plastic. But plastic is still plastic. It's a very temporary kind of a thing. Okay. Then you have something that's plastic. But it's that, um, I would say, 8-inch by 4-inch by quarter or half an inch object that you're holding your hand all day long. Right? 
So that's your phone, your cell phone. What is it? Essentially, it's plastic. But if I say to you, look, can you please pass that piece of plastic? plastic. <coughs> you see, once the plastic phone, the plastic becomes a cell phone, then it ceases to be plastic. What is it? It's now a telephone. The whole context of that plastic. It's not plastic. What is it? It's a phone. See, it becomes, see, the significance of a phone to us today is so important that the importance and the greatness and everything we're able to, it's almost like our, our, our link to infinity. <laughs> With our phone, we have the whole world in our hands. We can reach everywhere. We can speak anywhere. We can send messages across the world. We can watch everything. We can instantly know everything that's happening across the world on the second. With our phone, unbelievable. We can send out, I have these mass texts, right? You all suffer from them that I send you all the time. I can reach a thousand, two thousand people in one shot. Boom, I can send that. All, your, your, your soul, so by us to, saying in our own minds the phone is like whoa it's huge so what happens to the plastic the plastic becomes no so nullified into the phone that the, you don't even see plastic what do you see you see a phone oh. so now you see you see the context of something can change completely when it serves and it becomes included in something else you see Yerushalayim on its own even though God chooses it when Hashem chooses this physical area the physical area remains a physical area. That's what it is. It's like a piece of plastic. But when that physical area becomes part and a facilitator and included and an enabler and an enhancer of what? Of, of David's kingdom. That's where David establishes his kingdom. The physical location ceases to be a physical location. It now becomes part of the kingdom and the empire and the malchus of David and the malchus of David is really the malchus of Hashem and since that's eternal so now that very physical space is able to receive eternity because it changed the definition of the physical place changed from just being streets and blocks and stones now it became the capital of David whoa so now it's part of that it's, it, it's a city it's, 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 it's a capital it's the holy capital of the world. Ah, so its definition changes. Now it's able to receive. Now it can internalize the choice that God made in it. And holiness of Yerushalayim. That's what the, what, why it says, we said earlier, that with Tul Hashem doesn't choose David HaMelech, the choice of Jerusalem is incomplete. Not on God's end, but on Yerushalayim's end. It couldn't receive it until it was, it, the context of that city was assimilated into the significance of David HaMelech. David HaMelech is eternal, and he, his identity is, in, as, is as an eternal being, because as an Ishama, he's able to receive that. Good. That's the explanation and further developed of what we discussed a few weeks ago. Based on this, we'll also understand, and this is the, there is a medrash, very powerful medrash, in, in Parsha Tezvav, regarding the month of Nisan. <coughs> it says, This month is to you. So, this is what it says in the Pasuk, Praises the nation that God is his God. And it says like this, here the Medrash. The Medrash says, When God chose his world, When God chose his world, Hashem um, instituted Rosh Chodesh and years. When Hashem made a choice to choose His world, Hashem 
instituted the idea of having Rosh Chodesh, which means he set that section of time, that every month should be a new month, and years. In other words, it, it seems like the world could have been created in a way where time would just be seamless, continuum without an interruption, without, without new beginnings. Every month, every year. When Hashem chose His world, Hashem set these increments of time, of years and so forth. But then when Hashem chose, that's when Hashem chose His world. But then when Hashem made another choice and He chose Yaakov and His sons, Kova Boy instituted in it he instituted in the world Rosh Chodesh El Geula, a Rosh Chodesh of redemption. That means that there's two elements. Hashem chose time, chose the world, and as a result of that instituted months. But in that sense, the months would start in Tishrei. But when then, when Hashem decided to choose the Jewish people, what happened? Then Hashem instituted a month of redemption, which is the month of Nisan. And this should be the first month, the month of Nisan. Okay, that's the medrash. Here, so first of all, you see an amazing thing, interesting thing. This medrash parallels the same idea that we spoke about earlier, is that in, in this medrash there's also two choices. Just like we spoke earlier, there's a choice in Yerushalayim, and there's Hashem choice in David. Here too, there's a choice in Hashem chooses his world, and Hashem chooses the Jewish people, Yaakov and his sons. And another similarity, just like over there, there's one choice is in a physical location. The other choice is in a human being. Hashem chooses David and Melech. The same over here, there's a choice that Hashem chooses a physical location, which is the world. And there's another choice that He chooses human beings. He chooses Yaakov and His sons. So you see a sequence of two choices. Number one. Number two, what we need to realize over here is that it doesn't say when Hashem created the world, He instituted months. It says when Hashem chose the world. Now choosing the world is not creating it. From the Medrash it seems to imply like this. Hashem creates, He creates a universe. Fine. Within that creation that He created the world, in, and in addition to that, He chooses the world. The idea, now it doesn't mean that it happened later. He could have chosen the world at the time that He created it. I'm not, it but it mean, but it's, it's, it's another dimension. There is the fact that He creates the world, and then there is the fact that He chooses the world. And he chooses it in a manner that, and, and as a result of his choice, he sets the, the motion of time the way we know time. Okay. So we need to understand, what is this idea? What, what's this addition that God chooses the world? And why, as a result of that, he institutes, he institutes um, these sections of time. But then there's another thing. And it says when he chooses the Jewish people, so we need to understand what's the significance of that choice. And, but it's, it's interesting. When it says he chooses the Jewish people, he doesn't say he gives the Jewish people something. When he chooses Israel, when he chooses the Jewish people, Yaakov and his sons, he gives the world a month of redemption. That means, similar to what we said before, that when Hashem chooses David, Yerushalayim gets something. Follow? Yerushalayim is upgraded as a result of David. Similar to that. When Hashem chooses Yaakov and his sons, boy, Hashem institutes in the world a month of redemption. That means that the whole entire world gets redemption as a result of Hashem choosing Yaakov and his sons. So these, this is the premise. Now let's, now let's dig into this and see what, what does this really mean. So the first thing is to understand what is the Chiddush that Hashem chooses the world. 
When Hashem chooses the world means Hashem chooses the world to be the theater in which His, his intimate desire of having the Torah and the mitzvahs performed, that this world should serve as the theater for that. That means like this. God has the Torah and the mitzvahs, and He has the Jewish people. Torah and mitzvahs and, and the Jewish people really exist on, on many, many levels, on many high spiritual planes. One of the places we end up is down here, and then down here is when we, the way we know the Torah and mitzvahs today, it's all in the physical world, and we observe them down here in the physical world. It doesn't have to be that way. The concept of a mitzvah, the concept of Shabbos, exists in the spiritual realms as well. The concept of all the mitzvahs exists in the spiritual realm as well. So, hypothetically, we the Jewish people could have encountered the mitzvahs in some lofty spiritual soul dimension, and then it wouldn't ha- be happening down here in the concrete physical world. It would have been happening in some abstract reality. When we say the Abishter chose the world, it means that God said this physical earth and planet earth is going to be the location in which the Torah and the mitzvahs are going to be realized through the Jewish people. Ah, that, that's a choice of the world. That's already a, a much higher upgrade in the physical world. There's creation. God said, I'm creating. And then Hashem said, there is a purpose to this physical creation. The physical creation is going to be the stage. It's going to be, it's going to be the, 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 like, it's like when you have a show and you have various different places where you can put up the show. You're doing an event. You have different venues. And then you decide on one venue. This is the place where this show is going to happen. Where, the door, where your, your daughter's wedding is going to be. You choose a place. God chose a place for where Torah and is going to, that's the choice that Hashem made in this world. Ooh, then his, his connection to the world goes much deeper. What did Hashem choose? So what did Hashem do? What does the Medrash say? As a result of God choosing the world, Hashem sets Rosh Chodesh, the increments of time that we spoke about before. Rosh Chodesh, years. What's the connection? Just because He chooses the world, He sets time. He sets these increments. In other words, we're saying like this. Without Hashem choosing this world to be the place of Torah and mitzvahs, then maybe time would have been experienced different, as we said earlier. Maybe it would have been one seamless continuum of time. I was walking with my... Uh, no, I was Matzah Shabbos. I had to go pick up... I had to go pick up my daughter from somewhere. And we were driving. I was driving with my other daughter in the car. And we went through a busy street. It was Melrose. And Matzah Shabbos at night. And I think it was my, my daughter. She said, oh, I can't believe what do these people do without Shabbos like there's nothing to like break it it's like just one continuum of draining it's like we're, we're so used to it, having the, the gift of Shabbos that kind of like refreshes us it stops time and then you start over again as opposed to just having this continuum draining constant I know you don't go to work but it's still there's the same so we, it's very special that we have Shabbos but we can understand that without God Without Torah and mitzvahs, it seems like the world could have been just an element of seamless time. But then, when Hashem made, chose the world to be the place where Yiddishkeit is going to be realized, where the Torah and mitzvahs are going to be performed, then Hashem set time. What's the idea? The idea is as follows. If this world is going to be the place, 
if you choose this, this, this venue for your daughter's wedding, then you need that that place, that hall, should have certain things that are necessary that you'll be able to make the wedding over there. For instance, if it's a, if it's a non-Jewish place, you need to make sure they'll have a chuppah. You need to, you need to bring the things that are necessary to be able to facilitate and to have that. that you need to bring a kosher caterer because that, that, that will enable it to happen. So what does the world need in order for it to be able to become to be served as the, as the arena and where Yiddishkeit is going to be unfold. Oh, it need Hashem had to set the increments of months and time. The reason for that is, what is it with the relationship? What does months and time have to do with it? So you can say simply, so that we should be able to keep Shabbos. We need to be able to have, or so that we should be able to have Rosh Chodesh, or Yom Tiv, all the Yom Tovim need the first month, the second month, the seventh month, so you need these sets of time. But really it goes much deeper than that. Because it could have said, when Hashem um, chose the world, Hashem uh, said, I got to put wool in the wool, in the world. I got to create sheep and have wool because the only way we can do the mitzvahs, and one of the mitzvahs is tzitzis, and tzitzis is wool, one of the mitzvahs is the, the high priest or the priests have garments in which there is wool. I need to create wool. So why dafka time? You can say that about anything. You say the reason why Hashem had to put time because without time and without the system of every month we couldn't have yomtiv. Fine, but then you could say that about every object that Hashem put into the world. When Hashem chose this world to be the place of Torah mitzvahs, Hashem decided to put flour in the world so you can make matzah. So why dafka rishchodesh? The answer is based on the idea that I once discussed here. Why is the mitzvah of setting the calendar the first mitzvah of the Torah? Why is it the first? So we once discussed this, but this is a beautiful and a very, very deep and important idea. You see, the purpose of Torah and mitzvahs is to, what it does in this world is it sanctifies and elevates all of the physical world. It makes all of the physical world connected to holiness, re- reflecting godliness in Hashem. So now, think about it. The most important, the most, the one mitzvah that engages and affects, that affects the one mitzvah that engages and affects every, that affects the world more than anything else is the setting of the Jewish calendar. And let me explain to you why. You see, when I go and I take wool and I make wool tzitzis, and this is the only reason God made wool in the world. Well, maybe for, for, for clothing, you could have other things besides wool. doesn't need wool. Eh, polyester. God created wool because tzitzis need to be made out of wool. Okay? Or, or preferably, the best way of doing tzitzis is wool. Fine. So Hashem makes wool. But technically, how much percentage of all the wool that's in the, that's, that's in the, that's in the world ends up being tzitzis? How much percentage? <laughs> Not even a point zero zero zero. I don't know how. It's, it's mamash. A tiny, 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 minute, minute bit of, of but yet... We can say, that's the purpose of all the wool. All the wool. <laughs> Imagine all the wool in New Zealand. All the wool in Australia. That's where they have a lot of sheep. All of that. Tasmania. All the wool in those places. They're all for the sake of what? For tzitzis. And when a person wears tzitzis, in a sense he elevates all the wool. Why? Because technically I couldn't have this little bit of wool had there not be a greater amount of wool. Fine. But in actuality, do I do the mitzvah with every bit of wool? 
No, I do the mitzvah only with a tiny fraction of the wool. Same as with matzah. How much flour is gonna, is gonna turn into matzah? Percentage, I know there's a lot of matzah, and we eat a lot of matzah. We getting, start getting ready to eat a lot of matzah over the last, next eight days. But still, Jews are such a small little fraction of the world that how much of our food is matzah? Very, very little compared to how many rolls are going to be eaten <laughs> even during Pesach across the world. How many bread, how many loaves of bread across the world? How much of it is matzah? Nothing. Yet, the little bit of matzah justifies all the world because God is getting satisfaction because His mitzvah is being performed. Here there is a difference with calculating time. And here, here this, is, this is so special. The Lubavitcher Rebbe makes such a gem of a chiddush, of a novelty. He says, the mitzvah of calculating time means that you have to, the Beisden has to say that this day is the first day, this is as day is sanctified. Rosh Chodesh, this is, a whole, this is an important day. And based on this, we can count 15 days and we'll know when Pesach is. We'll count 15 days from the beginning of the seventh month and we know that when Sukkos is. We'll 10 days and we'll know Yom Kippur is. When it comes to time, you don't have an existence of time. You don't have the 15th day unless you have the 14th day. Because the 15th day is not the 15th day only. The very definition of it being the 15th day requires a 14th day. The 14th day requires a what? A 13th day. That means you can't have the entire concept of the 15th day being Sukkot or the first day of the seventh month being Rosh Hashanah if you don't have six other months before that. That means that the very definition of this being seventh requires another six. So they're all part of the mitzvah. And to take it even a step further, the mitzvah that the Beisden has is to calculate, that's the mitzvah that Beisden has, to calculate the special days. That means all the calculations that they're calculating, all the numbers that they're crunching on their calculator, Beisden is sitting and doing all kinds of charts. They are counting every second and every moment. When they are counting every second, they're doing a mitzvah. What's the mitzvah? The mitzvah is the counting. Which one are they counting? They're counting every moment of time to establish the Jewish calendar. Guess what they're doing? They're doing a mitzvah with every moment of time. Because, In other words, every moment of time becomes the object of the mitzvah. You follow what's happening here? Because the only way they can do the mitzvah is... The only way they're doing them is, is calculating. So even though they're setting only this day as a holy day, or that day as a holy day, all the time that they needed to, all the numbers, which, is, which includes all of time, to be able to set these dates, are all part of the mitzvah that they're doing. So you know what that means? Before we even start to operate within this world, to take the objects of this world and use them for a holy mitzvah, the general time that we're all living in is already sanctified. Do you realize that all of time becomes holy because of the Jewish calendar? It's amazing. Every mitzvah, you see, every, every, everything we do, anything we do, I, 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 you know, I'm, 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 going, uh, I'm going to a bar mitzvah. When is the bar mitzvah? The bar mitzvah is happening on this and this day. Um, I'm going to put on tefillin. When am I putting on tefillin? Within the morning hours. Anything you're doing, before you even can do it, it's happening within time. So time, just like time and space, it's happening within space. But even before things happen within space, there's first a time. So time is the most primordial first thing. 
And here's what we're saying. As a result of this mitzvah of sanctifying time, all of time becomes, we get a head start. All of time becomes holy. Why does all of time become holy? Follow. Why does all of time become holy? Because all of time was part of the mitzvah of setting the calendar. So 90% of the world is holy before we even start rectifying it. Then we have to take the objects that exist within time and space and give them too a connection to a connection to, to Yiddishkeit, a connection to God. That's why this is the first mitzvah. That's why it makes sense what the Medrash says. When Hashem chose Yaakov and his sons, what is the depth of that? I'm sorry, when Hashem chose the world, what does it mean Hashem chooses the world? When Hashem chooses the world, meaning, as we said earlier, that this is going to be the place where the Torah and mitzvahs are going to be performed. Hashem made this world be fitting. Hashem elevates this world and sets, Hashem set time. And when Hashem set the increments of time, Hashem made the entire world mukhshar. Mukhshar meaning Hashem made the entire world ready for the elevation of Torah mitzvahs, more than him putting wool in the world, more than him putting ma- uh, flour in the world for matzah. Because by setting time, he enables the world to have its elevation on the highest level, in the greatest way, before, more than anything else. That's Dashem choosing the world. But hear this, and this is, this is the, all this is like just an introduction to the main point. And what is it? Okay. Even though the world is now ready for a mitzvah, and the world is now in a refined state. Why? Because God set these increments of time, which will later be elevated through the Beisden that are going to declare time and calculate all of time. Fine. That doesn't, that's still, the world remains a world that now is connected to its creator, it's connected to God. But by definition, the world is still a world. What is a world? A world is something that God created. And when God creates something, anything that's not Him is finite. So it's not really, doesn't really have geula, doesn't have redemption. What does redemption mean? The true meaning of redemption means the fact that you're not constricted by anything. If you're constricted by the limitations of time and space, that too is a constriction. So true, once the Abishter chooses the world to be ready for the Jewish people, for Torah and Mitzvah, it's already gives the world a connection to God, but it still does not make the world infinite. But then Hashem chooses the Jewish people. Hashem chooses the Jewish people. Hear the depth of this. When Hashem chooses Israel, the Jewish people, what does it mean? Not that Hashem chooses our Neshamas up there. Hashem chooses that our observance of mitzvahs, Hashem chooses us to be in the world. It's two things. Our Neshamas are part of Him. Hashem doesn't have to choose our souls. When we say Hashem chose Asher means that Hashem chose to put us into bodies, to put us into the physical world. Ah. Once God puts the Jewish people into this world, and we the Jewish people, our choice that He chooses us, as we said before, is the true meaning of choice. Now what's the true meaning of choice? Why does He choose our bodies? Why are our bodies different than Gentile bodies? Nothing. Hashem decided. These are the bodies. These are the bodies that are going to facilitate Jewish souls. That's what Hashem chose. No reason. And therefore, because it's no reason, it's, as we spoke earlier, it's an eternal choice. And uh, so once Hashem takes our neshamas and sends them down, here's an amazing thing. We might think that what happens? Once the neshama comes down into a body, the soul is what? A piece of God from above. 
And if it's a piece of God from above, it's as eternal as God. Fine. But once the neshama metamorphosizes and comes down in the body, and the body's physical, and we become, we're no more a soul, we're now a physical human being, we might think that who are we? We have, we're a, we're, we're, we're temporary beings. That's who we are. We lose our godly infinite because we've, we've entered into a body. No, no, no. A neshama coming into the body does not change. The neshama doesn't lose its, 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 its true identity as being a part of Hashem when it comes down. But not only doesn't the neshama lose it in the body, but here is the most amazing thing. The neshama now gives eternity to the entire world. Brings redemption to the entire world. Why? The exact idea that we said before. The world on its own can't facilitate eternity. Why can't the world facilitate eternity? Because the world is physical. <laughs> physical. A physical universe cannot live on to infinity. It can't. By its very definition, it's subject to erosion and to an end. But, here's what we said earlier. The question is, what is the world? What is the world? As long as the world is a world, time and space, then it's a contradiction to infinity. But the moment the world becomes the theater and the stage in which Torah and mitzvahs are realized, and the moment we can uncover in every object and in every person and in every being and in every, every, in every atom across the entire universe, that we can uncover and reveal how they are a part of the Jewish experience, of the experience and the revelation of an abler and part of Torah and mitzvahs being realized in this world. Then what happens? The world ceases to be a world. The context of the world changes. The entire world becomes Yiddishkeit. The entire world becomes 613 mitzvahs. Six, Yiddishkeit is eternal. Jewishness is eternal. The Jewish soul is eternal. And since the Jewish soul manifests its relationship with God in 613 commandments, which are done in the physical world, and those 613 commandments be, are, 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 are now the definition of the nature of the world. That's what it is. It's 613 commandments, what we said earlier. Without time, you can't have a Jewish calendar. So you need all of time. Without wool, you can't have tzitzis. Without matzah, you can't have... I'm sorry, without flour, you can't have matzah. You need... And without... You need everything, just like in a theater when you're putting up a show. You need everything. You need... Besides the, 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 those that are the actual actors, you need a lighting person. You need sound. You need a vendor selling popcorn and, and, and things. You need people standing security outside. You need people by the door. You need people at ticket sales. You need a janitor. Everything is needed. And what are they all part? All part of the theater. They're all part of the show. And here's the amazing thing what happens now. We Jews are so uncomfortable with our Judaism to do something Jewish. We sometimes feel so insecure to put on tefillin in the airport or something like that, or to do something outwardly loud, or on a plane that, that's Jewish, because you're being too Jewish, stop it, stop it. Or to ask someone for a favor to help you. If, sometimes you're on a, you have to daven, and like, you know, you're going to ask the students, you need, you need a little help, the, the flight attendant. So you feel uncomfortable, you realize, if that person helps you do a mitzvah, you know what you've just done? You've given, you've changed the content, you've taken the plastic and turned it into a cell phone. Do you realize the world inherently, the six, six and a half, seven and a half billion people in this planet have limitations. They're here and one day they won't be here. 
Only as long, how, what do we mean one day they won't be here? As long as till Mashiach comes, when this world is seen as a world. Once Mashiach comes, when we look at this world, we're not going to see a world. We're going to see what? A, six, a platform for the 613 commandments, for the realization of God's will. That's what the world is. A realization. This is, this is what trees are. Everything, our eyes, our vision of everything in the world will completely change. So what are you giving it? You're giving it godly legitimacy. When you're giving it godly legitimacy, you're giving it eternity. You're doing people, we are doing the entire world, the Jewish people are doing the entire world the biggest favor. When they are assisting us in holiness. So when you have a Shabbos guy come up to help you and you feel like you're bothering someone. You're not. Of course you have to know halachically that they are allowed to help you. The Shabbos, the, the Gentile that you're calling it to help. But if it's according to halacha that they're allowed to help you and assist you keep Shabbos, then you're, you're changing them from being a, 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 a finite human being into a channel for the infinite will of God. And therefore they're part, they're part of what we might call the nuts and bolts of all of the realization of, of God's dream of the 613 commandments fulfilled in the world. And that's the meaning. When Hashem chose Yaakov and his sons, it's not Stam that he gave Yaakov and his sons something. Hashem instituted in the world a month of Gula, the, the death, the world. The world becomes redeemed. Time, which inherently is limited, becomes a channel for the desire and the, and, the, and the fulfillment and the pleasure of the infinite one, blessed is he. And since it becomes a channel for his realization of his desire and his will, it becomes part of him. Just like I said earlier, the plastic becomes, is not plastic anymore, it's a cell phone. The world is not a world anymore. The world is now completely assimilated into the identity of Torah and Mitzvah, which is the realization of God, which is Hashem Himself. And therefore the world is now God. The world is not a world anymore. Imagine that. Through Torah and Mitzvah, we contribute to the world to enable the world to become Him. And therefore last forever. Will this world be here forever? The answer is if we Jews do our job, yes. The world will be here forever. Forever? Yeah, forever. Forever, forever. Forever, 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 forever. How? Because the context of the world changes as a result of Yiddishkeit. Its definition is not a world. Its definition is the realization of the 613 commandments, which is God himself. It's a different world. It's truest identity. And that's the relationship. The same idea of what David Melech does to Yerushalayim, we the Jewish people do to the world. May we merit that all of this should already be revealed this Chodesh Nisan. We should already see the third base Amigdash and the city of Yerushalayim be rebuilt. May it be fulfilled now.
Bye.